Hey, yeah. This morning I'm thinking about things that we uniquely experience. And when we experience something that's unique to us, it's the most interesting thing in the world. And we want to talk about it. But it's the last thing in the world that other people want to hear about because they themselves didn't experience it or aren't experiencing it. And the example I always go to is dreams, where one of the least interesting things to listen to somebody talk about is their dream. When someone comes up to you and they're like, I just got to tell you about the dream I had last night. It's like, it's like your ears immediately shut down, your brain immediately puts up this barrier and you just have to endure it. If you care about that person, you just have to endure it. If you don't care about that person, I mean, you might just walk away. <laughs> Someone comes up to you and tell you about their dream, and you just walk away. You know how I know uh, you care about me? Is you just stand there and you endure my talk about my dream last night. Uh, yeah, if you come up to me and, and you start talking about your dream and I just walk away, I guess you know I don't care about you. No. It's just the dream I don't care about. But for as fascinating as dreams are, uh, these bizarre, you know, creative... I mean, they are very creative. Even though it doesn't feel like we ourselves are engineering them, uh, dreams are some of the most creative ideas that people have. And the fact that those do come from whatever it is that generates that. It comes from within people, and, and I mean, maybe it taps into something else. I'm not going to try to tell you where dreams come from today, because uh, <laughs> that, that, that might even be less interesting than telling you about my dream. But there is that thing where when someone has this powerful experience that's unique to them, and there are a few experiences, and I do consider dreams experiences. That's the the... The only thing I will say as far as like defining where dreams come from or what they are, they are experiences. You do experience something. Uh, and they are creative. And because of that, you'd think they'd be fascinating. And some people are interested in dreams. I mean, Carl Jung, Freud, you know, these revolutionary thinkers, you know, these revolutionary uh psychologists, it was a, a major focus of them, but that was the bigger picture of it. They were focused on, you know, the bigger picture of it rather than just, I want to hear everybody's dreams. I don't know. I don't know what their interest was. But anyway, when someone comes to tell you about their dream, it's like you just tune it out. And it's like that for a lot of things. You know, if someone's reading a book, you know, you have to really like that person, I feel like, in order to actually care, or, or the book has to actually pertain to your interests for you to actually care about it. Because, you know, telling someone about your dream is like someone telling you about a movie they saw, and either you're interested enough to watch it and experience it yourself, or... You know, you're just listening to somebody talk about something they saw, and that's not that interesting. And we, of course, like to be included in what someone's talking about. We like there to be a relatable aspect, and that's often what's missing in that, is that you're not a part of it. And it's not some super egotistical thing. It's just how we operate. Uh, and with dreams, <laughs> the one situation w where people do get interested in hearing about someone else's dream is if they were in it. 
It's like someone's like, let me tell you about my dream last night. And you're like, oh, no. And then they say, you were in it. And then you go, oh. And you wait long enough. You're interested long enough to hear what your role in someone's dream was. Because even though it wasn't you, you were represented in this dream. And you're interested in that. I'm interested in knowing what role I played in your dream. Oh, I, I'm in the dream? Tell me about it. Uh, but... What's funny to me about that, the whole dream thing, is it's true even in fiction. Because you think about fiction is itself a dream. You know, you're reading a book and it's, it's you know, it's fictional. It's, it's not real. Therefore, it's basically a dream committed to paper. Uh, it, it, the, the author was basically committing some form of a dream to paper and you're now reading it. But when there are dreams in books, I'm extremely disinterested. And that's weird to me because I'm basically reading, you know, a giant dream. The whole book is a dream of some kind that I'm tapping into. So why is reading about a dream within a dream so uninteresting? And I remember like when I tried reading the Wheel of Time series, which, you know, I tuned out of after four books. I really liked the first one, and just I feel like if I start talking about the Wheel of Time series, anybody listening is going to tune out. I might as well be talking about a dream. Uh, but anyway, like I tuned out after about four books. I was already tuning out. Uh, but there are a lot of you know descriptions of the main character's dreams, and there's this magical component to it. And every time it went into a dream sequence, I was just like, fuck. This whole chapter is going to be the main character having a dream. And I'm just like, this sucks. You know, you it, it was just like somebody in real life trying to tell me about the dream they had last night that doesn't pertain to me at all. I was just like, this sucks, this dream chapter. And there's magic in the book. There's all kinds of, you know, fantastical events and situations going on, which I found interesting because they were part of the story. They were part of the main narrative. But the dream sequences in the book just tuned me out, and that's funny. And even uh, I'm, you know, there's the Michael Moorcock. You know, I'm a, I'm a big Michael Moorcock fan these days. And in the Elric series, there's some sort of I don't want to call them prequels, but I guess that's what they are. They're kind of some stories that take place before the main story, uh, where the main character, Elric, has to work things out in dreams. And I do find them way more engaging and way more interesting than, say, the dreams in, in the Wheel of Time or somebody coming up to me and trying to tell me about, somebody accosting me with, with a story about their dream last night. I do find the Elric dreams more interesting because they're much more interactive and I feel like they, they tell a story unto themselves a lot better than, say, The Wheel of Time. And I'm not trying to do some fantasy book comparison between Elric and Wheel of Time. Uh, but uh, I am. I mean, I'm not trying to, but I am. And I think that's an important component to it, too, is if a dream sequence actually tells a story, if it's unique, but also tells some kind of story unto itself. So the dream sequences in Elric are a little more interesting for that reason. You know, any, but anytime like a dream sequence is super vague or it's just, 
you know, it's purposely disjointed. It just comes across as lazy, and that's kind of how the Wheel of Time dream sequences felt. And that's how a lot of dreams are, you know, a lot of dreams, real dreams, real dreams, not not dreams that have been committed to paper, but the real dreams that just happen while you're sleeping. I mean, that's how a lot of them are. They're disjointed and vague and people and things appear, but reading that or hearing somebody describe that just isn't interesting. Uh, but this episode, it's not just about dreams. It's As I was saying, it's about anytime you have an experience that is unique to you, and not just unique to you, but it's it's so unique to you that only you experience it. And, uh, you know, death is on my mind, obviously. And it's funny how death kind of feels this way, too. And that's something that I've never heard talked about, and I never imagined it. And uh, anytime someone experiences a death in their life, you know, you are interested in it. You are interested in supporting them and hearing them talk about it. At least me, you know. It's, it's anytime someone brings up a death, it's not like I, I'm enduring it. It's not like I'm... There's, there's a part of us that if you have any sympathy or empathy for your fellow human beings, you're going to listen to somebody talk about a death. And it is such a powerful thing that you want to hear how they're doing, how they're processing it. But I've had this feeling myself lately, having gone through a recent major death, where I'm like, there's a part of this experience that is so unique to me that it's not interesting to other people. And right now, I don't give a fuck. And if I want to talk about it, I'll talk about it. But I've been conscious about it when I do talk to people. I've been conscious about it when I've done, you know, this show and talked about it, where I'm like, so much of this feeling and so much of this experience is uniquely mine. And even though other people knew my mom and there are other family members, you know, I have a sister, there's still a part of this experience that is so uniquely mine. And not just because I was there and I saw my mom die. It's not just because I was, you know, so close to her, the closest person to her. It's not just that, it's just the whole, the totality of the experience, there's a totality to my own experience that I can't possibly translate to other people, and it's not that I'm really trying, but I do have a need to express myself, especially, you know, it's only been about a month and there's still so many different things going on in my head. You know, there's, it's almost like everything in my life right now is orbiting around my mom, and not just her death, but just the, the so I think the word that I keep coming back to is totality, the totality of her existence, and the totality of not just her existence, but whatever's going on now, her life and her death. So it's like my entire life is orbiting around that. And other people, other people are also orbiting around that, you know, especially family and very close friends. And as some of the buzz has dissipated, you know, people come into the orbit, they come out, they check in. And I really appreciate people checking in, people who just, even though it doesn't necessarily, it's thoughtful. And, and that sort of thoughtfulness resonates with me right now. But it also it doesn't solve anything, you know. Uh, and I don't mean that to sound ungrateful, but it's just, it's like the... 
it doesn't change the facts. I guess that would be the best way to put it. You know, people who have continued to show their support, I'm just, I find that so incredible that they've made that effort. Uh, especially because, you know, like I was saying, it's like this experience is unique to me and talking about it almost feels like I'm telling people about a dream and not because it doesn't feel real, but it almost, it has the feeling of like when I talk about whether it's, you know, the inspiring and dare I say, even exciting aspects of an experience like this, or whether it's the extremely sad, overwhelming feelings of loss and change, it doesn't really matter what end of the spectrum it's on. I feel like I'm burdening someone by talking about it. And that goes for people who are very close to the situation, as well as people I know who are just my friends, you know, or, or just people that, you know, I know. It, it, it's a strange feeling, and I don't truly feel like I'm burdening anybody because I think people understand. But I do recognize that there is a part of this that is so uniquely mine that other people couldn't possibly be that deeply interested. And I think that's why I appreciate people checking in because I know that people, while they might care, they're not deeply invested or interested in the totality of this experience, and especially as time goes on, people's lives move on. As I said, I'm orbiting around this experience, uh, but other people, you know, they might fall into that orbit, but they're going to go back out. They're going to go back to their own planet. They're going to go back to their own sun, whatever else. Uh, I like that idea, though, of an orbit, because it really does feel that way. While I've been able to do plenty of stuff that is my own and uh, you know it's not like all of my thoughts and certainly not all of my actions right now revolve around this situation it is what I'm orbiting around and I can't avoid thinking about it I can't avoid obviously doing things related to the situation there are a lot of practical things so that keeps you in orbit as well but I am very self-conscious, which is strange. And I, people, I think someone would say I shouldn't be. I shouldn't be self-conscious about talking about it. And it's not that I'm... Uh, I, I would just say I'm self-conscious of it. Or conscious. Maybe not self-conscious. I'm just conscious of that this experience is mine to go through. And I do have to, you know, show some restraint in talking about it. I don't have to, but I mean, I think that it's, it's better to, uh, rather than to just launch into it all the time. But it is interesting that it is a lot like talking to somebody about a dream or something that you read. And just anytime we have something that, you know, seems so important to us, and it is important to us, I mean, anytime you're interested in something, it is important because a lot of things aren't that interesting. No matter how hard you try, there are a lot of things that simply aren't interesting. You can appreciate the fact that they exist. You can acknowledge them. But to actually be hooked and interested in something is, is one of those intangibles. You know, I think about some of the enduring hobbies or interests I've had, and I have no fucking idea. <laughs> I have no idea why I got into that or why I'm still interested in it. Uh, it it's just like, why did that hook me? Uh, and not that other thing. 
And why did that thing hook someone else and not me? Just those things that hook us. But when we're hooked on something, you know, passion is cool, and it's cool to see someone passionate passionate about it, but you can only be so passionate about someone else's passion unless you have, like, a crush on them or something. It's like there's that experience that I've had where, like, a girl likes me and is actually interested in, like, all this bullshit that I'm into or saying, and then you're with them for a while, and then you notice them starting to dip out because it's like that initial, like, crush buzz is kind of lessening, and it's like, and they just realize that it's like, it, that it's like this this <laughs> this thing that was attractive to them, this passion that I had for something that was attractive is just like this never-ending tunnel. <laughs> and uh, I don't know. I mean, maybe that's all in my head, but I, I've noticed that. I, I've noticed that happen where it's like, sometimes it's like something like when you first meet somebody, it doesn't have to be a romantic thing, but you, when you first meet somebody the things that they're really into are fascinating to you because it's like, oh, this person does that thing or they're into this thing and that passion uh, has a certain infectiousness to it or especially if it's new to you, it's not something you'd really learned about before so you're learning about this new thing. Uh, but over time, it's just like, oh, that's just another thing. It's just another thing that someone's into. But yeah, I never expected to have that feeling about a death, and it makes me very, it does make me self-conscious about the way that I've responded to deaths in other people's lives, or other deaths in my life that were less important, and I even feel self-conscious saying that, you know, deaths I've experienced that were less important, but of course, you know, other deaths in my life were less important than my mom's death, of course, Uh, it goes without saying. It's not like there's some hierarchy or rankings of death in my life, you know, but it's just obviously every. It's like my mom's death and then everything else, every other death. That's just the nature of it. You know, unless I had a child or a wife who passed away, it's like there's not, you know, or my, and my dad or, you know, somebody else. But it's still, it's like my experience to this point, nothing is going to equate to my mom's death. Uh, but it does make me conscious of the fact that, you know, I haven't been someone who, when someone else I know has had someone die, I haven't been the person who keeps checking in. I've offered my condolences, and that's what a lot of people have done with me, where they've offered their condolences, and it's very meaningful. It's very meaningful when someone reaches out and acknowledges the situation that you've just experienced, and uh, whether it affects them or not, whether they knew my mom or not. It is always meaningful to hear from people, uh, but it's made me realize, you know, uh, you, you, you know, I was talking to somebody actually close to me who lost their father, and I was saying to him, you know, this just makes me realize, like, why didn't I check in with you later? Why didn't I talk to you about this? And he said, well, you know, I think you have to go through something like this in order to be able to do that. And that was really interesting to me and felt very true. Uh, And we talked about his father more in depth and his experience losing him. And, you know, and and it it wasn't like he had felt some resentment toward me for not talking to him more about it. 
And there's also this part of that, though, you don't want to bug people about it because you think they might be moving on or they might be. There's this part of me that I think when I know someone has experienced a death in their life, I don't like check in on them partly because it's like I don't want to reopen the wound or maybe that's not what they want to be thinking about. So that's an aspect of it, too, where it's almost like. Oh, you know, two months go by. I don't want to message somebody or call someone and be like, "How you doing?" Since uh, your your relative died, because maybe they've finally distracted themselves, or or they've, you know, somehow moved further along in the healing process, and they don't want somebody to call them and just be like, "Do do do," you know, and bring it up again. But I realize that that's silly going through this, I realized how silly that thought is because I know for me, it's like there will be no point where I'm bothered or maybe bothered isn't the right word. There will be no point where I'm resistant to somebody asking me how I'm doing or bringing up my mom. I think I will actually be overjoyed by it. I will be overjoyed to have the opportunity, especially as the years go by, to acknowledge my mom and to and to acknowledge not just the experience of her dying but her whole life you know so that will be important to me and I don't know if other people are similar to to the way I am or anything else uh, you know because as I said there is a uniqueness to everyone's individual experience and that certainly applies to death and beyond death it applies to deaths that are very close to you uh, but it does make me realize that I know personally that if people continue to check in, it's not going to derail some, you know, healing process or, or you know, oh, I was, I was distracted. I was reading Elric, and you messaged me asking me how I'm doing after the loss of my mom, and now I'm just thinking of that. Now I'm crying again. Thanks. No, you would never feel that way. I would never feel that way. And I have to imagine many other people are the same where, especially as time goes on, as time goes on, you will actually feel honored and even overjoyed with the idea that someone was thinking of you and thinking of your mom or your whoever it was you lost and seeing how you're doing you know, with respect to that situation. I don't think there's any downside to that. But this whole thing, as I was saying, has made me self-conscious of where I haven't reached out to people, where I haven't checked in on them, where I've either not wanted to bother them or assumed they're fine or just, you know, just been lazy. I mean, I think that's a part of it, too, is there's a certain laziness, and it's not a lack of care, it's not a lack of concern, but it makes me realize that there have been times in my life where I've been lazy about other people's grief. And it's only lazy because I know that I've had the strength to be there for people, and why didn't I offer that strength? And I'm not beating myself up here. I'm just, this is just a truth. But, you know, as my, uh, it was my brother-in-law who said, you know, you sometimes have to go through these things in order to do that. You have to know what it's like. You have to have gone through this to know what it's like and to, and to even know that you can offer that strength. And that's something I want to take from this whole experience is I want to be able to offer my strength to people. I want to be able to offer my strength if they need it. Once again, it's just offering it. That's something I've 
taken from this experience so far is the people who have who have offered their strength to me, even if I haven't needed it, just knowing it's there and recognizing that in them. It's incredible. And it's also incredible. You just realize why certain people are in your life and uh, your relationship with them might not be perfect. It, they may even be an acquaintance. In, in this case, they're, they're people I've never even met personally, face to face. Uh, people from my mom's life in particular, where you know you just really see where th- there just there does seem to be some meaning as to why certain people were in my life, in my mom's life, and in my life in particular. It's like I just see certain people, and I'm like, you know, there were times where I questioned this, where I just, you know, you have misgivings. We're all human, and it's weird to see now, like where things kind of come. Things become particularly meaningful. People become particularly meaningful. And not to say they aren't already, but you really notice it in these situations. You're like, wow. You know, a friend of mine sent me, uh, my friend Kyle, whose music I played on this show and I've, I've referenced a lot, he sent me a, a Leuven Brothers box set that he had. And it's just, just to receive a magical item like that in the mail. Uh, he, I guess he had two of them, something like that. And he had, it was almost like it was just there. It was almost like it was waiting for me in some weird way. And uh, he said he was sending me a package. And just to open that up and to see that, I'm just like, wow, this is a magical artifact. <laughs> and it's amazing to, to me, like the way other people, like people I worked with, you know, years ago now, uh, just the fact that, you know, this just wonderful woman I worked with, is con- who I consider a friend, but we haven't seen each other in you know a few years, has just continued to check in with me and offer meaningful, I don't even want to call it advice, just meaningful input. Just, uh, you know, it's that sort of strength that I'm talking about, where you really see the strength that other people have to offer in these situations. And it's really made me completely... I wouldn't say change my view, but it's definitely given me a whole new view, a whole alternate perspective on what strength is. And you wouldn't get that if you if you hadn't experienced it. You know, it's once again, there's a level of activation that goes on. And even though there's this loss, something else gets activated and that makes you notice certain things. So uh, there's a lot of there are a lot of new viewpoints and i mean that you know very literally because it feels like you have this new vantage point where you're able to see certain sights that you hadn't seen before there is this bird's eye view where you're you're looking down and you're like oh that thing over there i oh i'm now able to see that thing over there or that person over there and you know it's it's just it's very fascinating it's a fascinating experience and who would want it to be anything but that? Who would want death to be anything but that? Uh, but like many fascinating experiences, I do realize that there's a lot that I can't translate to other people. And I would love to. And it is important for me to put words to this. It is important for me to draw from this right now. Like I said, I am orbiting around it. But I also realize that there are limitations to that. When you're orbiting around something... You know, you can invite people to orbit along with you. You can tell people about it. Uh, But there's only so much you can do 
and there's only so much other people can do because we are in our own little worlds. Even though we have this big shared world that we're all a part of, uh, you know, we are in our own little worlds. And when we try to communicate or translate that to people, there are just natural barriers to it. And sometimes people might not be in the mood. You know, sometimes people just might not have the energy to listen to you. Uh, but I think death in particular does something to people. I think it active, even though other people may not be experiencing it the same way you are, and they may be in their own life, in their own world, I think when they know something relates to death, they do give an extra effort. And that's what I'm seeing in all of this, is even though a lot of this can't possibly be communicated directly to people, People do make this extra effort. There is this magic that emerges from other people. And you see a lot of it right away. You know, that first week, the first two weeks, you see a lot of magic in people. Uh, it, it taps into something because, I mean, they're experiencing their own grief in the situation. Or their own, uh, they're pulling from their own deep reservoir of empathy or sympathy in addition to their own grief, depending on how close they were, how they react to these things. Uh, but, you know, now that it's been a month, I'm continuing to see these, uh, I don't know what to call it. I mean, I, I just magic would be the way to describe it. You see where people really are able to, you know, pull the magic out of themselves and to do it selflessly and seemingly unconsciously which I think is what magic is. You know, people, you know, they, they put so much effort and focus on cultivating some of these things. You know, let's just call it magic. Some people, it's like they, they want to force this magic into their lives, and they read this, or they practice this, or they meditate, or they, you know, say these prayers, or they, they do that, they, they repeat this mantra, and uh, they, they're just so so concerned with, you know, creating magic in their lives, or if they have what they feel is magic, they want to preserve that, and they grip it so tightly. But in situations like this, you see it emerge from people so natu naturally and seemingly effortlessly. But there is effort involved, and I think that's what I see in people too, is the fact that some people are able to make that effort the fact that, that other people are able to offer their strength, it just makes me eager, and I, and I shouldn't be too eager, uh, but it makes me eager to be in a position in the future, the near future, to be able to be that person too, to be able to be that person who does lend an offering of strength and who doesn't need that offer to be taken up. Because there are some people who, if they offer something, if they offer to help, if they offer their strength, they are put off if that offer isn't taken. If someone doesn't take up that offer, they'll feel a little put off. They'll feel almost useless. But it's actually an amazing thing when someone offers their strength to somebody or offers to help them 
and that person doesn't need it because that means that person is drawing on their own reservoir of strength and some people they might be like a wounded animal who doesn't want to show their wounds or is trying to hide from the truth in some way or just you know needs help but doesn't want to accept it I mean that's a thing that some people do I mean I'm actually that way a lot of the time where I don't like to I don't know. I, I, I prefer to maintain a certain level of independence. But, uh, you know, in this situation, you know, I'm, people don't realize, too, you know, what their strength does and how it affects people. Because, I mean, I think simply having the strength to reach out to some, somebody, simply having the strength to offer it that alone does something to the person that you're offering that strength to, and that itself gives that person some of that strength. So while there are practical things that are very important and some people can help with, and that's important to me too in all this, it's also just somebody simply offering is itself some sort of transfer of energy or it just makes me aware you know, at the very least, it makes you feel less alone in the experience, even though there is a lot of it that is just a dream. There's a lot of it that is just some weird reality that only you are experiencing at this given time. And I have to recognize that in other people, too. You know, while it's easy to sort of be like, oh, I'm at the epicenter of this. I'm at the controls. I can be a little bit self-centered about this experience because I'm the one who is closest to the situation. I also have to keep in mind that other people, family and friends, they have to experience this situation their own way, and that is unique to them. And if I can offer strength to them that's incredible. That's more than I could ever ask for in life is to be somebody who's experienced a death or a very significant loss and within that to immediately be able to offer strength. I can't imagine a better goal and and not one where you know you pressure yourself to do that but if in this entire situation I've been able to offer anybody any strength that is beyond my wildest dreams. And I don't know whether I've been able to do that or not. It's hard for me to look at that objectively. But if you can help someone when you're in a situation where you appear to be the one who needs the help, or based on the situation, you normally would be the one who needs the most help. If you can turn that around and help others in that situation where you are the one requiring help like if you can if you can take in it take it in as well as give it out that is beyond that would be beyond my wildest dreams really that would be a goal uh, and there is this intake and output to this whole situation too where especially the first week where you have a lot of love coming in more love than you've ever felt uh, from from a wide group of people uh, not necessarily more love than you've ever felt, 
but you know, more love from a wider group of people, from a large group of people than you've ever experienced before. More love coming in than you've ever known. And sincere, you know, it's so sincere. Uh, and and it it's expressed in a lot of similar ways. You know, a lot of condolences are very, very much, you know, along the same lines. But a lot of people come up with some really interesting ways to express that love that are unique to them, and that's powerful. So you get this this real landscape of of love, which sounds cheesy and ridiculous, but it's like you're you're given this just massive intake of that. And I knew while I was experiencing that, I was like, I've got to send this right back out. While I need the love, and it feels great to have all this love coming in, I also know that this needs to kind of be a, there needs to be some exhaust. I don't want to just indulge in this. I mean, it's a lot like eating. It's a lot like taking anything in, like water. It's it's really very similar to that, where it's like, you know, what is eating if you're just binge eating and sitting around? It's pleasurable, I guess, but it's like, what is the, what do you do with that? You know, do you just sit around, you, 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 I'm just going to eat a bunch and sit on my couch and, you know, just indulge. And it's nice to treat yourself. It's nice to do that. Uh, but it's similar to the way I feel about love in this situation where when I felt this just massive influx of love coming in and consideration, I just remember feeling especially those first few days where it was really coming in, feeling like I can't just sit on this. I can't just stockpile this inside of me. Because when it stops coming in, not that it'll ever actually stop, but, you know, when it starts to slow down would be a better way to put it, which it already has. You know, when when this intake starts to slow down, I don't want to be hungry for it. Because that's another part where it's like, you're getting all this attention and all this deep, meaningful, sincere attention. And there's a lot of emotion involved. And I just knew, like, just somehow I just knew where I was like, I don't want to just stockpile this right now because then I'll be concerned about holding on to it. It was like my feeling was like, I want this to go right back out, both to the people that are approaching me to other people to the cashier at the grocery store I want to be extra nice you know because I do have this reservoir of love I want to not be over the top and weird (laughs) I don't want to be weird about it but just show a little extra consideration to the people out in the world and that's something you can always do of course but it's like it's something to be aware of whenever you have a massive influx of love coming your way and maybe it's something that people can also do when they get fucking married You know, you think about when someone gets married and they have all these people giving them things and paying attention and wishing them well. And, uh, you know, I I, I think people could do the same exact thing in that situation where instead of just being like, oh, I deserve all this and and I need to, to, you know, stockpile all this love because, you know, I'm so important because I got married. You know, think about ways that you can send that back out. There are a lot of different situations you get in where, there's a, a flow of, it doesn't have to be love, you know, it doesn't have to be that, but a flow of some kind of energy your way. And that's why I compare it to eating, you know, where it's like if you're eating and exercising <clears throat> and exercising 
or you're eating and like you're really using that fuel and you're using it in a thoughtful and meaningful way that's going to help your body. That's such a better way of eating in my experience, you know, and, I, and I've, I've had experience both ways. I've had experiences being just somebody who like binge eats like frozen pizza and saltines and <laughs> uh, someone who, you know, thinks, you know, a little more thoughtfully about my diet. And, you know, it feels much better to know that what you're taking in is going out again. And you could get gross about this. You could come up with gross metaphors, bathroom stuff. But it's just knowing that you're using that energy, I think, is the most basic way I can break this down. And it's the exact same thing when you do have love, when you do have sympathy, when you have this focus from people. Because that's really what magic is. It's a focus. And when you're able to achieve that focus without trying too hard, without, you know, putting too much effort into it, because when you put too much effort into that focus, you know, you're going to miss, you know, you're going to, it's not going to get you the result you want. But when people are that focused and they're doing so without much effort and you can in turn focus that energy without much effort because it's just there, it's sincere, it's all very real, and it's just happening. You know, if you can do something with that, that's big. And if I've been able to do something with that in all this, like like I said, that's beyond my wildest dreams. If I can send that kind of focus, that kind of energy back out to people, uh, you know, that is, that's a goal, and it's a goal I'd like to be mindful of in the future when other people are going through difficult situations and, uh, you know, be able to focus that on them without trying too hard, without putting too much effort into it. Uh, but, uh, you know, as my brother-in-law said, it's like you wouldn't necessarily be able to do that until you've experienced something like this. So there is this almost activation or, you know, something pushed you up to another level and uh, that's a very interesting part of this whole experience is just immediately transforming in that way. And, you know, my goal is to push that transformation toward the good. And uh, as some sense of normal returns and those moments of just... Because, you know, you, you have those moments that come where it's just like... You know, I have found myself, like, driving in the last week, and, like, I'll see a car do something fucked up, and I'll just be like, oh, you know, what's this fucking guy doing? And then I have to catch myself and be like, you know, like, I don't want to return to that state, at least not yet. If it's inevitable, it's inevitable. But I don't want to return to that sort of ordinary dissatisfaction. And an experience like this can serve as a constant reminder not to let yourself go there. It can help you catch yourself. And it doesn't mean things won't feel normal. It doesn't mean you won't feel like yourself. Because I've already had that. You know, I've already had like some sort of a landing. I don't want to say that I've fallen. But, you know, when you initially go through something like this, there is a high to it. There is a buzz to it. And... You don't want to crash. And I mean, maybe that's where the whole intake and exhaust thing comes from, where, you know, you don't want to just indulge in that energy and then crash and be like, I need more of that. 
I need more sympathy. You want to land, and you will inevitably land. You know, and that's what I'm saying here, where it's like you will inevitably have those ordinary, everyday things that bother you or that distract you or times where you're not thinking the sort of thoughts that are best for you. But when you land, I feel like, and, and you're aware of that landing, you have control. And and so for me, it's like, you know, this is an experience that, like, I knew that I had to do something with that energy because that aided in the landing. And I don't think I've landed yet. I think I'm in the process of landing and maybe always will be. Uh, but that's much better than crashing. And that's another thing to take from all this is you don't want to crash. No matter what the situation is, it's like you do not want to crash. You want to land. And, uh, you know, the better that you land, the more you'll, you'll be able to do with the whole experience. And there's a certain, you know, as, as much as there is this sort of uniqueness to this that you can't possibly communicate to other people and they might not be able to relate to because they just can't. Even if they've been through a similar situation, there are just unique aspects of your own life and your own experience that just, they can't translate to you what they've felt in their life and you can't completely translate to them what you felt. Uh, and, and even though that is a part of this, uh, it is... Uh, it, does, it doesn't mean that you, you can't do something with it. It doesn't mean that you can't do something with it that aids your relationship to other people. And not just the people in your life, but the people that you encounter on a day-to-day -day basis. Because you think about how crazy it is that there are this many people out in the world. I don't even know the number. There are billions of people. A bill, I don't even know. I don't even know how many people are out there. But you will never encounter most of them. Even if you travel the entire world, you will never encounter most people. You'll think about them. You'll, you'll be able to say there's a billion blah, blah, blah people out there. Uh, there. There's so many people I can't count them. You'll think about the totality of that. Of the, There are this many people who are the same species that I am, but you'll never encounter them. You'll never talk to them. You could spend all day traveling, all day online, and you'll never interact with most people. So it's very significant that you interact with the people you do, even if they're the cashier. Even if they're somebody who has just some very brief fleeting role, even if you just pass by them on the street, and this sounds really cheesy, but it's something that I've never really thought about, where it's like there is something so significant even in that relationship. The mere fact that you live in the same town as somebody, the fact that you can pass by that person on the street and simply encounter them, look at each other briefly, look at each other long enough so that you don't run into them. That relationship, which is a relationship, the fact that you have that with somebody means you do have a certain duty to them, a certain duty to, you know, respect them at the very least, respect their existence. And it doesn't mean you don't have to respect the existence of somebody who lives on the other side of the world who you'll never see or never run into in a chat room. <laughs> uh, but it doesn't mean you shouldn't respect their existence. 
and I think even just acknowledging that they're out there, all those unknown, they're known unknowns, because you know they're out there, but you don't know who they are or where they are. You just know that you'll probably never encounter them. It's my goal to meet every single human being on Earth, or at least see them in a chat room. <laughs> uh, but just the simple fact that you can even acknowledge that they're out there is itself a form of respect, and it's something that's worth being aware of. Uh, but in terms of your day-to-day -day life, you know, even passing someone on the street is a relationship, a closer relationship than you'll have to most of the people out in the world who you'll never pass by on the street. And that's something to take in, into consideration in all of this. It's something that's important to consider when it comes to your own conduct. You know, the, the way that you interact with those people might not be as important to you or as important in the grand scheme of things as the people who are your friends or your family or your coworkers or the people that you actually have to interact with on a deeper level. But there is a certain level of responsibility in that where, oh yeah, you know, I'm, you know, I see this person in line. This person lives in my neighborhood and once in a while I see them in line at the grocery store. That's a relationship. And that's something that's worth considering. And it should also empower you when it comes to the relationships that are more important. It should empower you to, you know, take more control and be much more mindful. There's that word. Uh, over the way that you interact with the people that you do know and that you do talk to. And that you do tell your dreams to. You wouldn't believe what I dreamed last night. You know, because that person uh, who you see in line at the grocery store once a month, they might end up in your dream one day, too. You don't have to tell them about it, but they might be there. And the weird thing about dreams, just to go back to that, is that there are a bunch of people in your dreams who you'll never see again. That's the, that's the really crazy thing when you think about how there's people out there in the world who you'll never meet. You'll never pass by them on the street. You'll never uh, see them in a chat room. Yet there are people in your dreams who you've never seen before and you'll never see them again. So that's weird. You know, and that is either something incredibly imaginative that the brain does, the fact that the brain can just generate people to appear in dreamland, people you've never seen before and never will. But it also makes you ask some questions about where do those people come from. But uh, I'm getting out there. I'm spiraling out to the fringes. And it, it's going to be like five seconds before I start telling you about my dream last night. And uh, it is funny, though, that that's not interesting. <laughs> it's not interesting that the most imaginative and creative thing that our brains naturally do is so uninteresting when we hear it coming from someone else. And it's so uninteresting that even reading it in a book isn't interesting. When a character in a book is talking about their dream, or you're reading a chapter that's a dream sequence, it suddenly feels more boring and harder to get through than the rest of the book, which is all made up too. That's just a funny thing about it. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I would say I'm going to be very aware of the fact that, you know, 
I have a, a, a relationship with every single person I interact with. A relationship that I don't have with the people that I'll never see. And there's a gradient to that. There's a spectrum. You know, but you have to acknowledge that even passing by someone, even being aware of someone's existence is a relationship to them. And that's something you should be aware of. And if you're aware of it, you can choose, you can control the way that your life interacts with their life. And sometimes maybe the best thing is to not interact at all. Maybe that's the ultimate form of respect in some situations. But if you can control how you interact with the people that you just pass by, that you just get a fleeting glimpse of once, if you can control that in that moment, you know, it does make you realize what you can control with regards to the people that you see a lot more, that you talk to a lot more, that are a part of your daily existence. And that's something that I would like to bring into my life in the near future, realizing ways that I can reach out, ways that I can offer my strength. And in this whole thing, like what I've realized more than anything is simply making an offering is itself... Simply, Someone simply making an offering is itself... So, I, I wish I could come up with something to say here. Um, that itself is a, it has a completeness to it. Even if you don't take up that offer, even if the person doesn't even plan on being able to do more than make that gesture, make that statement of, if you ever need anything, or here's something I, I learned, you know, someone simply making that offering is itself a total communication. There is something complete about that. There is a wholeness, going back to that word, there is a wholeness to that. There is a wholeness to somebody simply making the gesture. This land is mine God gave this land to me This brave, this golden land to me And when the morning sun Reveals her hills and plains I see a land where children can run free.